heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them, from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen to the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. The doctor saving lives at your local hospital. The war veteran down the street who risked his lives for our freedom. The police officers and firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur. The creator. The producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. And I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks of the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and uh, welcome back to The Hero Show. I am your host, Richard Matthews, and I'm on the line live with Daniel. Daniel, are you there? I'm here. Awesome. Glad to have you, Daniel. For uh, those of you who are regular guests um, or regular listeners on the show, um, we are currently in uh, St. Louis um, getting our RV worked on. So if you're hearing any, any banging in the background, that's the, uh, the workers outside taking the radiator out of our RV. So uh, that's, uh, you know, fun things that happen when you're running a podcast while traveling. Um, so quick introduction to Daniel. Um, and hopefully I don't butcher this for you. Is it Amaduri? You, you nailed it. Amaduri. Amaduri, perfect. So Daniel Amaduri is a self-made multimillionaire, a full-time skeptic of conventional thought, and a proud father of three. We were just chatting about that before we got on the uh, interview here. Co-founder of Future Money Trends Newsletter um, and FutureMoneyTrends.com, which with nearly 150,000 subscribers is the most widely recognized online authority in investment ideas and economic advice. Um, you've been featured in the Wall Street Journal, ABC World News Tonight, and Russia TV Today. Um, or sorry, Russia Today TV. I read that backwards. Uh, mm -hmm. Best-selling author of Don't Save for Retirement. I want to hear a little bit about that because I, I sort of agree. Um, but I, I probably don't have my reasons as well thought out as you do. Um, and you correctly predicted the collapse of the Lehman Brothers, AIG, and Washington Mutual on Vision Victory, the YouTube channel you launched in 2007, which now has more than 13 million views. And I actually remember um, Washington Mutual, the whole collapse of that that bank, because my uh, my dad was uh, an investor in them, um, and like the whole scandal and everything between Washington Mutual and the bank that I can't remember which bank took them over. Um, Chase. Yeah, Chase, and like there was a you know lawsuits and everything, and you know my uh, my um, all my dad's stocks, I guess preferred stocks or whatever, turned into something. I can't remember exactly what happened, but I remember a whole, <laughs> he told me a whole bunch about it as it was going down. So. Um, really interesting stuff. So my first question for you, Daniel, is what is it that you're known for now? What's your business like? What are you, uh, um, what is it people come to you for? You know, most people come for uh, personal finance advice it, 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 that is an alternative to what they're typically told. And that is to save for retirement for 30, 40 years. So a lot of people who email us or subscribe are coming from some sort of video or interview or article that I've written about building a life that is focused on on cash flow on buying things that make money absolutely and that's a uh a, a, <laughs> it's a huge difference one of the things that i've always uh i've 
I've always been really interested in is how can I build a business that throws off cash to use to buy cash flow producing assets um, as opposed to building, I don't know, a huge retirement savings account. Um, Cause I don't know, cash, cash flow to me is really where, where the meat is for, for, you know, being able to live the life you want. Well, it's what's certainly what the wealthy are investing in. And uh, if you look at the wealthy, they're focused on preservation. They're focused on cash flow, multiple sources. And of course, the middle class is focused on this pipe dream. That, hey, let's just keep throwing money at Wall Street. And maybe in 30, 40 years from now, we'll be able to tear off the uh, chunks of that savings, like a pound of flesh off your own body. It's just the whole thing is crazy when you think about it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it just the idea of just speculating and hoping that, hey, I'm going to buy the Dow at 29,000 and hopefully by the time, let's say you're going to retire in five years from now. I mean, what's your upside investing in stocks right now? You really think stocks are going to 60,000 in the near future? Uh, no. Sure. It's going to happen one day, but um, I think the, unfortunately the retirement system has turned the entire middle class into just speculators. Yeah. And I think like one of the things like I, um, when I, when I worked in the corporate world, um, I, I got funny looks from our, financial advisor that came in to talk to, uh, you know, all the employees about our 401k plans and everything. And he would tell us, you know, you could, you know, you could put money into the 401k um, for whatever reasons. And, you know, when you retire, you'd be able to pull back out of it, blah, blah, blah. You know, the standard pitch you get for a 401k, put all your money in here. Um, and I remember I, I raised my hand. This was like, I don't know, 10 or 11 years ago. And I was like, I got a question for you. And I was like, my question was, why would you um, invest your money here um, for um, so so basically you get uh, tax benefit and it's like I, I can put money in before it's taxed into 401k and then it grows tax-free and then you get taxed on the harvest later right sure. um, and I was like there's there's strategies that the wealthy use where they get to put money in post-tax and then so it's, you know, it gets taxed now as the seed money and then it grows tax free and you can pull it out tax free. And I was like, it makes more sense to me to put in money <laughs> in some of these other vehicles where you can, uh, um, you're not getting taxed on your harvest and stuff like that. And anyways, so, you know, those kind of questions don't get asked pitch, to talk about. The pitch is that you're going to be in the lowest tax bracket. Screw yeah. that. I don't want to be in the yeah, lowest yeah, bracket. Yeah, was. That was the, uh, well, the the other question that I asked him. I was like, "Why why are you assuming that I'm going to be poor?" I was like, "I want to be in the highest tax bracket possible when I retire. I don't want to be in the lowest one." Um, and, well, and like, and now with the with the Trump tax cuts, if you look at the federal income tax, essentially they haven't been this low since like the 1930s, 1931. Mm -hmm. And so now now the the, the pitch is with. 22 or 23 trillion in debt and socialists uh, rising up in this country. The pitch yeah. is avoid paying the lowest taxes in practically 100 years because taxes will be even lower in 20 or 30 years from now. That's yeah, like that's just it's just ridiculous, right? <laughs> like let me let me put in, you know, post tax money now, grow it tax free and pull it out later and you know like I I I get funny looks from family and friends because I tell people my goal 
is to have the largest tax bill possible. Like I want a tax bill that makes other people's yearly income, you know, like <laughs> that's my goal. That's how I'm, I look at, you know, growing, growing my business. And of course I would like to figure out how to then reduce that tax bill as much as possible. But like, I want to get to a point where my tax bill is just humongous. <laughs> For sure. And I know what you're saying. For yeah. the audience, it's like, no, we're not saying we love paying taxes. We're saying if you're making, if you're paying a lot of tax, you're paying, you're making a lot of money. Yeah, it means you got you got a big business. Something's going yeah. right, right. Um, so, anyways, like that's it's, I've, it's always been interesting the way the stories that we get told in the middle class are not the same stories that the wealthy get told or tell their children and things like that. Um, and so, it's really cool that you're you're teaching in that space. So, my my next question for you is is your origin story, right? We talk on this show all the time. Every entrepreneur has their origin story where you started to realize that you know you were different and maybe you could help people. Um, and so how did, what got you started on your, uh, your entrepreneurial journey? Well, since I was a child, I've always been interested in entrepreneurship and my mom has plenty of stories of me getting in trouble at school for selling pencils, trying to undercut teachers, whatever they were selling or selling candy, doing garage nice. sales, random garage sales. Uh, you know, I had had, a, had an uncle one time worked for Nabisco, gave us a bunch of cookies. I threw them in my wagon and went running down the street trying to sell all of them. So I've always been fascinated with it, always felt destined that I would become wealthy and, and uh, that would happen. And then I started buying houses right out of the gate. At 18 years old, I bought uh, my first rental property. At 19, I bought my second rental property, uh, invested in my first business at age 16, started buying stocks and did really well in life and ultimately did have a, a just a cratered size, uh, devastating moment in 2008 with many other people. And that's yeah, a nice big crash. Yeah, I mean, it, it. even though I accurately predicted it on YouTube six months before it happened, I made the bad, I made a bad bet. I, uh, I bought a lot of silver thinking that um, the deflationary crisis would be overwhelmed with inflation uh, from the central banks. I was right about a lot of these things, but the results did not happen. Silver did not go to the hundreds of dollars an ounce that I thought it would. It went from $21 to $8.90. So, and then in the meantime, I was being greedy with the real estate market, telling everybody to sell all their real estate. And I was out there trying to do, just let me squeeze in a few more flips here in Southern California and end up having- Before the market really dies. Yeah, foreclosures, the whole thing. And uh, it was devastating. So there was a time there where I had let go of that destiny and was just trying not to be poor. And um, ultimately it leads me to uh, starting a personal finance blog, website, future money trends to track what I was doing, my wife and I were doing on how we were going to become financially independent. And ultimately that evolved uh, into not only helping people become financially independent, but it also evolved into getting involved in venture capitalism, which I, it's something I never even considered, but it's now, it's a very, it's a passion of mine of uh, helping seed nice. round new companies. That's cool. So um, the, uh, the future money trends is it's a newsletter subscription. Yeah, it's a free newsletter. You can, um, get our weekly wealth digest at futuremoneytrends.com. The, uh, advertisers pay for basically the website and the cost and everything else. So, and the profit of course. So it's, it's a free, uh, free for the users, uh, because there is no subscription. There's no paid subscription. You're going to see ads on the website. You're going to see ads in the emails but you're not going to have to pay for anything. And you, you literally, you're literally getting everything that I did and everything that I'm doing. 
That's really awesome. So how did you, uh, how did you grow that to a point where it started to attract advertisers? You know, at first it just started out as um, building it. And for six months, I didn't even think about making money. I was just sharing my story. In fact, going prior to that with the YouTube channel for two years, I was just doing it for free and it built an audience. And of course, once Lehman Brothers collapsed and all those predictions came true, the channel blew up, became very successful rolled that momentum into the future money trends letter and then um eventually decided uh how i was going to monetize and the first go-to thing was hey I'll, I'll contact google and you know uh, generate revenue and then i thought about it i was like you know what if i could make it in a way where i would advertise what i'm also investing in so you know affiliate program programs you know, that makes a good idea good, easy. good you, can, you can contact fundrise you can get affiliate link for fundrise one of my favorite cash flow places to go to um you know if i'm doing a venture capitalist deal i'll say hey why don't you guys pay me uh you guys can use all of our uh like you know web banner ads for advertisements we'll even help you guys uh do some of your uh, prs or something and that's how the the relationship would develop so i would write checks into these companies but i'd also help run some of their marketing. And uh, so that's how it kind of evolved into a personal finance letter that's mainly focused on cash flow. But about 10% of the letter, we do profile uh, small opportunities in the cannabis space, blockchain, gold and silver, that type of thing. That's really awesome. So the, uh, the, that's your, your primary revenue driver in your business is the newsletter subscriptions and the advertisements for, for the newsletter subscribers? Yes, for the business itself, for future money trends, uh, the primary uh, drive, primary income monetization for that is the advertisements. However, the majority of personal income I make is actually from the venture capitalism at this point. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine the venture capitalism is big money when you uh, when you start playing with uh, playing with some of those things. You huge ROIs if you uh, you get in early on some of those some of the products and stuff. Correct. And what I try to do is I try to give the subscribers the same opportunity. So I'll let them know, hey, I'm, I'm investing into this company. They're launching today. They're launching next week. And, you know, it's something that I'll be in for years because these companies, especially uh, in, in the, uh, the newer companies, uh, they're very volatile. So it's, it's important for people to understand that, look, you don't buy these as day trades. This is not you're not buying Walt Disney you're buying something that will yeah, either yeah. go up 10 times or will go to zero. Yeah. That, and that's sort of the way that, uh, that businesses work, but the, uh, the, it's, it's really interesting because the, uh, like I I've seen, um, you know, a number of my own friends that have started businesses and myself, like that, that first growth, that like growth hockey stick is really big. Um, but, you know, you know, the statistics, one in five businesses fail, right? In the first couple of years. Um, so you, you, you probably invest in several um, to have the one that takes care of any of the losses and really makes up for all the, all the rest of it makes big money. That's true. And I don't invest in a lot. So I'm talking like five a year, maybe. So I think mm -hmm. also being just being disciplined is also something that will help protect yourself. Because one of the, the things is every deal that these guys are going to pitch you, is always gonna feel like the opportunity of a lifetime and it's gonna make you feel like you have to have urgency because you're gonna lose money if you don't get in quick. And what I yeah, tell and that's, people- that's the intention of a sales pitch though. <laughs> yes, and so what I tell people is anytime you feel like you're gonna miss out, don't do it because you're about to lose money. Anytime you feel rushed to buy an investment, don't do it because you're about to lose money. <laughs> so 
anytime that takes over my mind, I usually step back and I kind of just take a breath and, you know, and, and you, you know, just like they'll tell you, uh, look, you got to let me know by Friday. Otherwise you can't get in. Another lesson I've learned is they want your money. So yeah. if you're in the driver's seat when it comes to VPs. Yeah, yeah, you're the one with the power. You have the thing they need. Um, so my, my other question is sort of related to that is, are you still in the real estate space at all? Are you doing any investments there or, or not since 2008? So what I do is everything I make for my business, I typically put into the real estate market. So I'm very, I would say uh, net worth is 50% real estate, but investable assets, it's probably in the 70 to 80% range. Interesting. Um, so, Any particular asset class Are you doing like uh, self storage, multifamily, single family, you know, industrial, what kind of, what's your, uh, your, your go-to for, for uh, the real estate holdings. So prior to 2019, I had single family homes, duplexes and four up to four plexes. Uh, however, in 2019, I decided to upgrade the portfolio. And so I'm almost done with the transition of selling all my houses and all my apart, uh, smaller uh, multifamilies. And I'm transitioning them into uh, commercial real estate holdings, uh, apartments, you know, 30 units and above uh, type situations or commercial properties or going into private funds that uh, perhaps family offices invest in and maybe owning a sliver of a Costco building or a JW Marriott, that type of thing. That makes sense. Yeah. Remind me when we're, uh, we're off the call, I have some introductions for you because a lot of my clients invest in commercial real estate. Um, so they're always looking for more people that are, uh, are looking in that space. So that's, uh, that's fun and interesting. So my, uh, my next question for you has to do with your superpowers, right? So we talk all the time on the show as an entrepreneur, you have uh, it's what you do or build or office world that really helps solve the problems for people. And the, the framing I've been using for this lately is, is if you were to think through like your skill set and realize, you know, you might have a lot of things that you're really good at or things that you might consider, um, you know, uh, superpowers. But what I'm really, really interested in is what's the, what's the one thing that you sort of is the common thread between all your skills, right? The thing that empowers everything else and sort of makes you who you are and allows you to do what you do. I think it's, it's the understanding that I have to deliver more value than people expect. Uh, and I, I, I put that into the entire company and I put that into my children, everything I do, whatever I promise you, I'm already thinking how I'm going to promise you how I'm going to deliver more. And oftentimes I like to overpromise to put myself in that horrible situation. So I like to put my back against the wall and I like to overpromise. And then on top of that, I'll over deliver on something I don't even think I can deliver on. Uh, but I got to add more. So it's just, it's just ability to focus and stack value to whoever you're trying to serve. And so I assume you bring that to all of your various businesses too, where it's not, not just for your newsletter, but also like when you're purchasing the real estate and moving in and like the, you just, how can I, how can I add value to this transaction? Um, Absolutely. And 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 I treat all these properties like a Marriott or a, or a JW or, or um, a Ritz would treat their customers. You know, when a tenant has an issue, they, they get it resolved right away. I send, I send Christmas cards and, you know, gift certificates for date nights. Now, people would say, this is stupid. Why do you do this? Guess what, guys? I don't deal with problem tenants. I don't deal with people. You know, my tenants, their kids send me Christmas cards. Like, I'm not trying to make <laughs> best friends with people, but I am letting them know that I'm gonna treat you great. If you're in my property and you've got a problem, it's gonna be taken care of. 
Um, we're going to make sure these properties are dealt with. Same thing for businesses. Um, same thing for with my, my newsletter subscribers. Um, if I'm investing in something risky, I will maybe even exaggerate on how risky it is. I'll tell them, I'll, you know, like, look, you could lose all your money because I want to make sure that when people look at our content or anything that I do, they'll always say, look, he did his best, more than his best, to make sure I was positioned to make money or to make sure I was positioned to not put myself in a situation where I would lose money or I couldn't stomach the volatility. Yeah, yeah. And I know, um, particularly in the, in the real estate space, I know a lot of investors don't always think of the peop their tenants as, as their customers, right? Um, and so it's really, it's refreshing to hear like how, how you see that see the business there and see the people that you're transacting with and how it has to sort of be a win for everyone or it's not a it's not going to grow and be really good for you um so what um the the flip side of your superpower is your fatal flaw right so just like superman has his kryptonite or batman's not really a superhero fatal flaw is something that you've struggled with when it comes to growing your business um, and I think more, more interesting than what the flaw is, but what have you done to sort of overcome it? So people who are listening to the show, um, if they're suffering from the same thing, like they'll learn from you on how you've, you've sort of overcome some of the things that have held you back. So it's promising too much. <laughs> and then, um, uh, trying to always be the yes guy for a client or a subscriber. So in the beginning not even that recently I ended this, but I used to do phone calls with subscribers. And of course, as you can imagine, this would take- yeah, Especially a, with 150,000 of them. Yes, yeah, so people would schedule appointments. Some people would be long-winded. Some people would be very needy. That was a bad idea. I stopped doing that. Now I just communicate through email. Uh, with the advertisers or the clients or the investments, um, I, I might have uh, tried to have too many. You know, I told you I do five a year. Well, in the beginning, yeah. I tried to do 25 a year. And so what I did was I said, okay, where, how can I cut this down? And what I did was I just created simple rules for myself that would not only help the quality of my life, but get rid of that kryptonite and also enhance the value. So what I did was I made a rule that any company I VC or any company that I charge for advertising that we're also VCing, uh, the most important thing right from the very beginning is the CEO or whoever founded the company, they had to be doing this their second time. So that immediately got rid of a lot of people because a lot of venture capitalists there, you know, I'm not saying these guys are bad because everybody has to start somewhere, but they yeah. might've been a, a CPA and now they're running a cannabis company. Uh, yeah. They might've been um, a geologist and now they're trying to run a mining company, which is a totally different beast. So what I did was I cleared all that out and I focused on the 20% or even less than that, who they would come to me and say, I built a billion dollar mining company and now I'm starting my new one. I launched, uh, you know, cannabis Wheaton and now I'm building a new cannabis company. So that's what I started doing. I started focusing on people who had already gone through all the mistakes, who had already gone through all the, the problems and who had a success. And so that is one of the things I, I accomplished in my life. And it certainly raised the quality of my business, my life, my investments, by focusing on people who were on their second or sometimes even third or fourth go around. 
Yeah, so that's like, it's a really interesting like thought process that you went through there. And it's like, how, how can you trim the fat in your businesses to make your life better, right? So in, in your newsletter, you're like, hey, I'm spending too much time on the phone or I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm running into this problem here. So you're like, where can, I, where can I cut these things out and still get the same or better result for myself and for my clients? And with the venture capital, the same kind of thing. It's like, I've got all these, these investments, but where are the ones that are causing the problems? Right. And I know um, in business, like you, you basically mentioned it sort of right. The 20 percent, it's like the Pareto principle. Right. You know, 80 percent of your clients are going to cause you or 20 percent of your clients are going to cause you 80 percent of your problems. And 20 percent of your client is going to create 80 percent of your revenue. So how do you uh, how do you just sort of cut it down to the most important things? Yeah. And you look at you. I would tell people Pareto's law, 80, 20. 20% of the efforts is delivering 80% of the results and vice versa. But then I want you to take it a step further. Look, reflect on your life, get a clean sheet of paper on your business, on your entrepreneurship, personal finance, whatever you're looking at, do the 80, 20, but then I want you to do it again. Then 80, 20, the 20 that's left. And now you're down to what is really truly delivering the maximum uh, leverage, the maximum use, the maximum uh, value in my life. And so I just talked about the real estate. You know, I looked at, I had all these properties and some of them, you know, they get two tax bills, each one, they got insurance became kind of difficult to keep track of. And, uh, it was always just kind of just, there's a lot going on. And, um, so in order to focus on quality control, that's what I did was I basically took the 20% best properties and then I 80, 20 that I kept a handful of them, but the rest of them, I'm like, I'm getting rid of everything else. Everything else is going into these funds that I don't have to do anything. Uh, you know, and again, I didn't partner with the newest, latest thing that FinTech that just launched in 2018. I went to companies like Watt Funding, who you know, been around since the 1960s. They've gone through multiple recessions, multiple real estate crashes. And of course, the most important criteria anyone you're investing with in real estate, they better have gone through that 2008 crisis. I want yeah. somebody with a deep scar on their face from that 2008 crisis because it's those guys who are not going to blow up on the next crisis. Yeah, they know what's going on. Yeah. And so, so you sort of like in the, in the real estate space for our listeners who are, are not terribly familiar with it, there's, there's two big sides to it in the investment space. You have the people who are doing the work of the investing, right? This person who's buying the house or buying the, the property. And um, I call it the, uh, I'm going to see if I can get this word right. The, the one who, uh, who sort of like puts everything together, the deal maker, right? And then you have the other side, which is the investor, which you're talking about, where someone who, who generally puts up the money for the deal. Um, and, uh, and so it sounds like you're, you're making that transition where you're the one who is doing the deal making and putting the property together and taking it care of it and managing it and getting in front of a property manager and all that kind of stuff, um, to being the money that's funding the deal. So you're getting a smaller slice of the pie, but you have none of the work. Is that sort of the transition that you've made, you're making? A a absolutely. And it's, it's raising the quality of the deals too. Cause let's be real. I can go out and buy all the duplexes I want, but me owning a slice of a Costco building it's really not in the cards for me right now. Uh, mm -hmm. However, I can join with a group and have Costco and Walgreens and Chevron and McDonald's be my tenant. Yeah, yeah, those are uh, um, the the um, single tenant uh, leases. For... Yeah, because I mean, would would you rather have a tenant of an individual home that say, let's say they're paying nine hundred a month, or would you rather have J.P. Morgan as your tenant? I mean, it's, yeah, or the yeah, IRS. I mean... They, they're, they also, they're, uh, they'll stay there forever. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was just just looking uh, at a couple of uh, things in in Marietta, actually. Um, some of the properties there that are uh, that are for sale with single tenant leases, and it's it's amazing how much uh, revenue those things can generate. Um, but they're uh, you know they're top tier properties, so they cost a lot of money to invest in, uh, like a lot of money. So it makes sense that you're going in with with the groups and getting a getting a piece of the pie. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to I want to. Uh, just jive with you for a little bit for because it's not something we've gotten to discuss on the uh, on this show a lot but one of my favorite things about real estate investing particularly with like commercial real estate and making that transition into the investor side is how the money actually works for people so i'm gonna just lay lay some numbers out here from one of my other clients that i thought was really really fascinating to sort of get your opinion on it and see what your your thoughts are but they they were uh they were talking about a uh, it was a multi-family deal that they were buying right a, an apartment um, and so the deal maker person, the one who was buying the deal was buying an apartment or property. I can't remember the numbers exactly, but it was like, they were buying it for a million bucks and, um, they were going to put about, um, another million into the property. So all in the property, they would be in about $2 million. Um, the invest, the uh, bank, they would, they were loaning something like a 80% loan to value. So they had, to, they had 800,000. Um, so they needed to raise the $200,000 extra for the price and then the million dollars they were going to put into it. So they had to raise a million and one, two from the, uh, um, from investors. And so they raised the one, two from investors for the property because they knew the, uh, the turnaround for it, it was worth probably about 5 million when they were done. Um, and so those all sound pretty good, but what was really fascinating to me was the person who put up the, the cash, they don't do anything in the deal, right? Like they just put up the money. And they had a, a 12 month turnaround where they actually, they were able to turn the property around in 12 months um, and get it up to its highest and best use and all those things. And then they do a cash out refinance on the, on the money. Um, and so the cash out refinance, they pay back the investor, he gets his one, two back. Um, they pay the banks back and they've got the, um, the um, you know, they just have the new loan on the property and then it's cash flowing. The investor had an equity position because of the money he put up. So he gets his one, two back. And then for the next five years, which was the, the plan for the property, he makes a 10% cash flow on that. And then at the end of the property, now it's not worth, um, it's, what, it's not worth whatever it was now. It's, you know, it's worth like twice that price, right? And they sell it. So they pay back the bank and then they split the, uh, um, you know, he gets his cash flow there. So the, the person who put up the money um, over the course of five years, he got his money back really quickly, right? 12 months. He, so he um, he gets his his one you know one point two million dollars back plus he gets cash flow for five years plus he gets the uh, the ten percent or whatever of the sale price at the end, and to me that's just like that's that's a really really cool way to talk about like how how you can make your money work for you, um, like at a really high level, um, because a lot of people are um, don't ever like see that side of the of the transactions and the money um, and how it actually works for people. And that's sort of what you're talking about doing is, is getting your money in and, and, and making those kind of, kind of plays. Is that right? A absolutely. And I love the way you described it because, uh, two things there for people with money, you should demand a return on your investment. First of all, people have been yeah. forgotten about that. Um, you know, when my wife and I were building our personal passive portfolio, uh, income portfolio, we had an expectation that if, if it wasn't sending us money every month or every quarter, we would not buy it. So no speculating, only buying things that bring income into the house. Secondly, in that story, uh, anyone out there that doesn't have money, consider the other side. Somebody structured a deal without any money. They yeah. just 
structured a great deal and the money will come. I always tell people that you really don't need money because if you can make a deal, structure a good deal, rich people want to invest. There is, there is no rich person or group out there that's just loving holding cash. They just want to get that cash and let it sit there and do nothing. No, that's not they how they put it to work for them. <laughs> yeah, they want it. They want to put it to work, man. I am, I would love, I'd love to get, you know, uh, somebody to come and, you know, tell me, Oh, look, there is a great property in uh, San Diego. It's worth 3 million, but you know, we can buy it for 1.8, but I need 300 grand. He'd get 300 grand right now. Like, let's do this. This is a no brainer. So you can always find money, but you, you have to be willing to do the work to get the deal. And then for you, if you, people have money, my goodness, stop buying things that have to go up and just start focusing on the cash flow. Inflation and time uh, will take care of the appreciation. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's just fascinating to me that it works so well for both sides of that, right? So if you're the one who's putting the deal together, you can, you can always find the money for a good deal, Right. So you don't like that. I know that's a, it's a question that investors, people who are want to be investors always ask, like, I don't have the money for it. Well, you don't, you don't have to have the money. Money exists. There's so much money. You, I mean, you couldn't, you could, couldn't even shake a stick at it. Right. There's, it's just everywhere. Um, and so on the, but on the other side, once you, once you've made it right, when you have, you have the cash from things that you're doing, you can, you can step out of the work and just let the money do the work for you. Um, and and create cash flow and do all those other things. So it's it's really fascinating to me the way that whole world of finance works, um, you know. And um, it it's it's really fascinating when you see that like you can compare that to like the story we taught we started the interview off with, which is you know you put your money in the four hundred one k and in forty years maybe the stock market went up and maybe you can you'll have money right sure. um, or maybe not. Right. Like my uh, my grandpa lost most of his retirement because he retired, at, you know, in one of the big market crashes in the 80s. Right. And so he didn't have anything. Um, mm. And, you know, there it's, it's speculation versus like learning how to actually how money actually works. Yeah. And it's good to condition your mind too in, in buying income because the, that is what the wealthy do. And don't wait to become wealthy and then start investing like that. Start investing in that like right now and watch yourself become wealthy. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, it's like you, 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 once you sort of learn some of those strategies, you realize that like there's just a whole nother set of rules that you're never, you're never taught. Um, like the, uh, what do they call them? The, uh, the cash flow banking, where you can, you can basically put money into whole life insurance policies and then loan, loan those to yourselves and it'll continue to earn 8% while you put it into an investment that also earns 8%. So you can like stack interest while you're, while you're buying things. Um, it's just, you know, there's just a whole different game that you play that, that wealthy people play that it's not even like you, you have to have, you have to be wealthy to play that game. You just have to get the knowledge. Like you have to find <laughs> find out that those things are available, which I assume is what your newsletter teaches. Right? Yeah, teaches I actually people how to do those things. I have 18 of those uh, whole life policies that you're referring to. And I'm actually, before you called, I just texted the agent, we're setting up the 19th policy. Um, but yeah, you, it's, it's- I've only got one so far. I got a ways <laughs> to go. <laughs> well, it, it, it's something that, of course, the middle class has no clue about, but they call these the rich man's Roth. And- Yes, uh, cash flow, uh, bank on yourself, uh, Nelson Nash, uh, and then uh, Pamela Yellen, uh, bank on yourself. But you can get educated in those. 
And I, I, I highly recommend them uh, to, to be able to dual compound. And it's a great place if you're going to have cash, store the cash there. Yeah, yeah, it's a, um, it's really interesting. Like I had, I had a, someone gave me a, a middle class example of how they work, um, which I always thought was really fascinating. So for, for, for our, our listeners, um, I, this was really funny to me is like, a normal person in the middle class will go out and buy a car, right? So like they, um, they would buy a car, like say a BMW, they got a really good resale value, they're a really nice car, say it costs 30 grand. They go out and they get a loan for 30 grand from the bank and then they use the car, they pay it off over the course of five years. At the end of the five years, they sell the car. Um, so they spent, you know, whatever the cost of the car is plus interest, it cost them $36,000 for the car. They're out $35,000 and, you know, they sell the car, they get, you know, a portion of their investment back, right? They might get a couple of grand back from it, but they're, you know, all in, they're, they're probably minus like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars from where they started, um, sure. and is like same situation using the cash flow banking. A wealthy person might pull out the thirty grand from their uh, their their cash flow banking thing, buy the BMW with it, and they pay themselves back plus interest. All right, so they've got the uh, they've got the BMW for the five years. They pay themselves back while it's being used. The thirty thousand dollars is still in the cash flow banking, earning at six to eight percent a year. So you're paying it back plus interest. So you're getting another couple of points that you're you're paying back into it. And at the end of the five years, you still have the BMW. You can sell that whatever it's worth. Say it's you know still worth ten or fifteen thousand dollars. You can add that on top of it. Now, instead of at the end of the five years, you have you know, the 8% interest you earned on the money that stayed in the policy, the, you know, the, you know, what 5% interest you paid yourself back plus $15,000 for the car, you're, you, you've made significantly more money, plus you got to use the car for five years. And it's just a different game that people play. And they're like, that's on a depreciating asset. Like, you know, imagine what happens if you start using that money to purchase something that's actually appreciating in value and creating cash flow while you're doing it. Right. Um, so it's, it's a, um, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it gives, it's, it's like an unfair advantage to just continue to grow your wealth. I look at it as a flow through. So if I'm going to make a major investment into something that yields, let's say eight to 10%, I first throw it through a whole life policy. And then I just simply borrow the money right back in a policy loan. And I throw it in that investment that I want to put it in anyway. So I'm now yeah, I'm making 10% on one side and say 7% on the whole life policy. Now it does have a four and a half percent interest only on the on the policy loan, but people it's very complicated what we're talking about everybody. Yeah, yeah. You don't get it. This took me like four or five months to, finally to figure out how it worked. I had to like put out sell spreadsheets together and sort of like try and figure out how it was going down. <laughs> what 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 and and then to add the confusion is that we're it's whole life. Like to yeah. really understand this, you just don't we are not buying life insurance for life insurance. We are the largest holders of these policies, Wells Fargo and PNC Bank, Bank of America, Walmart. So we're not buying these for life insurance. We're buying these as a place to store cash. This is tier one capital um, that you have access to that you could use to dual compound. Yeah, yeah. The the dual compounding is the thing that just blows my mind because you can you can stack interest. And what is, what is it? Albert Einstein said, like, you know, compound interest is the, uh, the greatest force of nature. Yes. <laughs> Um, and you can stack that, which is, um, it's just fascinating to me. Um, so I, I look forward to the time in my life when I've got 19 policies going <laughs> and running investments through them. So just out of curiosity, 
how do you, because I, and this is just my own naivete on this subject, I thought you could only pull out like one policy on a particular person. How do you pull out that many? Do you, how does that work? So the way I understand it, you can uh, get a life insurance value up to 15 times your income. Uh, that is for the regular one. There's actually another one, actually, a secret, super secret one called premium life financing, where you could actually uh, get like 60 times, but, but that's a whole complicated thing to not get in there. But no, um, as long as your income, you take your annual income and times it by 15, that's how much life insurance you can get. Okay, so you can actually pull out more than one policy then if you haven't hit that cap? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, see, I, uh, I just misunderstood the way, that then. My kids all have two policies each as well. So nice. yeah. um, they have one policy where I pay something every year. And then they have one policy where uh, I did something called a one and done. And I've also done this for myself. And that's where you literally just give the whole life company a big chunk of cash and it's done. You never pay, you never pay again ever. It just goes up every single year uh, contractually. And the whole life policy holders like a REIT, uh, the, the profits from running the mutual insurance company are being distributed in the form of a dividend to the whole life policy holders. Uh, so I just want everybody to understand that you're actually making money from the insurance company doing the business of insurance. And of course, insurance is the best business in the world because you're taking payment and you may never have to provide a service. There is no other <laughs> business like this where you take yeah. money and you potentially never have to give them anything. Yeah, that's really fascinating that, uh, that it even exists that way. Um, so, I said things it's, how old, it's how Berkshire got wealthy, right? Like, yeah. uh, they'll talk about it. They had all this pool of capital just sitting there. And they're like, well, let's just use this money that's sitting there. And so, of course, they were able to dual compound by running uh, Geico. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so and anyways, for, for those of you listeners who are interested in this topic and want to get more into it, um, we'll post some links to some of the books that you mentioned. That's because the, the Bank on Yourself is the book that I read that sort of got me started into that. So we'll make sure there's links in the show notes for it. It's a huge topic. Um, and if you're interested in how you can do some of that, we'll make sure there's links in here. Um, so you can, uh, you can start looking at some of those policies because it's, it's such a huge topic for, you know, this kind of interview, but it's really, really fascinating when you're talking about how you build and compound wealth. Um, it's a, it's, it's sort of like black box tools of black box tools of the rich, right? Um, you know, how, how they actually manage and work with their money. Cause they don't do it the same way that you and I do, right? The uh, normal people, they don't, you know, we put them in, put it in banks, right? And, you know, earn half a percent interest from our savings account that's being eclipsed by the, uh, <laughs> the inflation. So, and, and you and I didn't even mention so many of the benefits I mean, these things are lawsuit proof, uh, even from yeah. IRS, as long as you haven't done anything illegal, um, they are tax free. Uh, if the, if the money after you die is going to your, uh, your family. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are and, many, and you, because, because you put in after tax dollars, they can't tax it because it's already been taxed. So you're not taxed on your harvest, right? You're not taxed on the growth, um, which is, is just fascinating to me. Um, because that's not the way most people do it. Most people are like, Hey, I get to put in my, you know, my, my money before it gets taxed at the paycheck level. And then, you know, after it grows to a hundred thousand dollars, then it gets taxed, <laughs> which doesn't seem like it's a benefit to the person who's doing the, uh, the, the investing that way. Um, but yeah, there's, 
a lot of cool things that and I know that you know even if when you take the loans out on them the loan the loan proceeds are not taxable and um, when you uh, if you do actually die the death benefit pays the loans back um, and then anything that's left goes to your beneficiaries there's just there's a lot of things that happen with the uh, the whole life insurance policies that are really worth taking the time and looking into uh, sure and when, you, and when people do a loan it's not as if they're doing a credit report or anything. Your cash is the collateral. You can only borrow 95% of your cash value. So there's zero risk of default. So if you want a hundred grand and you got a hundred grand in cash value, you just call them up and say, send me the hundred grand. Here's my name. Here's my account. They yeah. don't ask and any questions. They just ace I was, I, uh, the last time, last time I did it, I had a, a program I wanted to invest in. Um, and uh, I was like, I needed 3,500 bucks. And I just called him up and said, hey, can you send me a check for 3,500 bucks? And two days later, the check was in my mailbox. Exactly. Right? No questions asked. And then you can just pay it back, right? My, you know, I put it into an investment. We made like 60 grand over the course of the next few months. We paid it back. But, you know, it's, it was, uh, um, it's really, really easy as opposed to going to a bank where they have to, you know, pull your credit report and they deny you for this or that or the other thing or you know you have to like you know after 2008 you're probably really familiar with this you know it used to be before 2008 um you could uh you know fog a mirror and you could get a loan after 2008 it was like really strict like i even have a hard time i've got we make good money but they're like your money is not w2 money it's it's mm -hmm. uh, you know it's k1 money or whatever from you know tax standpoint so it doesn't count we can't give you a loan <laughs> yeah. So, By the way, if you're traveling all the time, you need to make your residency in another state. I totally do. It's currently still in California, um, which is which is insane. <laughs> Seriously, go get a house uh, in Texas or Nevada. Yeah, it's like I need. Yeah, Texas is um, is the the I've. We currently we have a we have a secondary residence address in South Dakota, and the only reason we have it in South Dakota is because they don't require. Um, inspections on the vehicle every year um mm. texas does which um it, which is like we like the income and their homeschool laws and everything but like we'd have to plan our trips around making sure we made it back to a texas inspection station every year <laughs> so it's i was a texas resident for five years it's every other year and every other year. You love this it's 50 bucks no matter what you drive whether you're driving a lamborghini or a honda it's yeah yeah California is like, you know, it doesn't matter what you're driving. It's 800 bucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nevada is really bad in their, their car registration as well, but they yeah. have no <laughs> Cool. So let's move on just a little bit. And I want to talk about your common enemy, right? So, um, and let's, uh, this, this makes more sense if we frame it in one of your businesses. I know you've got several businesses. So let's frame this inside of your newsletter subscriber business. And it's the one thing you could remove from your client's life. If you had a magic wand and you could just remove something that you know is holding back your subscribers from actually getting the results they're looking for, the thing that you, you see questions that you see popping up all the time that you wish you could just solve for everyone in like one go, um, then what, you know, what, what do you think that would be? It's trying to get people, the subscribers, to understand the difference between risk and volatility. Um, we make investments, things go up and down, but it doesn't make them risky. If I owned Disney stock, uh, there is 0% chance that Disney is going to zero. Uh, if I own yeah. a rental property in La Jolla, zero chance the property is going to zero, but it does not protect me from volatility. Disney could go from 150 today to 100. People will be puking and thinking all kinds of crazy thoughts, but they really need to step back and say, wait a minute. Is this risk that's happening? And I'm or being volatility. Volatility. 
And that is probably the biggest thing that I have to help people with because in 2008, I had a, a con or a duplex, excuse me, go from 130 grand down to 65 grand. And that duplex, the rent went from 1,000 to 1,300 during about a 24 month period. The volatility was high, but I lost nothing. I actually made more money because of the cash flow. So it's, it's the volatility and I would say definitely getting people to start focusing on cash flow and not speculation when it comes to the subscribers. So, so how, do you, how do you sort of learn the difference between volatility and, um, and the, I already forgot about the other thing you mentioned, risk. but so versus volatility and risk. I try to focus on teaching people to ask themselves, will my grandkids be doing business with this company if I'm going to invest in it? Or uh, could, could my children live in this property in 30 years from now? This is a desirable area. You know, really focusing on, you know, now, if like we do a deal, there's real risk and there's volatility. It's going to be extremely volatile and you could lose all your money. But, you know, if, if you've on the flip side, if let's say you just bought the S&P 500 on Vanguard, it's not going to zero. I mean, the, the 500 strongest companies in the US, they get swapped out, by the way. Everybody's like, why does it always go up? Well, guess what? It ain't even the same 500. It's like the only 80 of them are left that are original 500. Every mm -hmm. June, they, do, they clean them out. They get rid of the weak ones and they bring in new ones that are strong. So um, it's things like that, that, you know, yes, it could, it, but the S&P 500 could crash tomorrow and go to 1500. Uh, but is, does that mean Google and Apple are going away? No, there's no, no risk. I mean, uh, they, have, they have humongous businesses. And, you know, just in, in Apple's case, Apple is being undervalued a lot because based on, you know, their actual revenue projections. Sure. So, um, and like that's, that's probably the case for a lot of businesses just because of the political environment we're in. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so... The, the other side of that, if the common enemy is something that you're removing from your life, your, your driving force is the thing that you, um, you know, is the thing you fight for, right? So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman, Batman fights to save Gotham, or, you know, we just mentioned Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. What is it that you fight for in your businesses? Well, with my subscribers specifically, I really like to teach and I enjoy helping people realize that you know, the financial path that's been laid out in front of them is not written in stone. It's not even that old. It's an experiment and perhaps a failed experiment when it comes to retirement. So unlocking the potential of the subscribers and letting them know, realize that they could chart their own course. Certainly that is my drive when it comes to my subscribers. Uh, when it comes to like the real estate side of my business, I'm focused like a laser and my drive is how do I keep stacking more income? Every week, I hope to have more income coming into my life. That's a, uh, um, that's a really interesting goal, right? Because um, I know one of the things that I get questioned on all the time by my family and uh, my social circles that are not in the same like entrepreneurial circles that I'm in is like, uh, is this idea that you know, why would you look at things that are beyond your means, right? You know, like one of the things my wife and I do all the time is we do um, just because I think it's fun, right? We'll go places into like the rich area of town and like look at the mansions that have the open houses, not because we're particularly looking to buy one right now, 
but just because I think they're cool and we'll go and do some of those things. Um, and, you know, we go to the yacht shows and look at yachts and, uh, and things like that. My dad always asked me, he's like, why do you look at stuff you can't afford? And I'm like, what makes you think I can't afford it? <laughs> right. Like the, my, my, my life has always been, been, it's like, how, how can we adjust the income to afford the things we want to afford? Right. So we know we bought this RV um, and started doing the traveling. Um, and, you know, it was when we started, it was outside our outside of our income. Right. But we just adjusted the income to match. And, you know, next step, I told you we we're talking about traveling around the world. And, you know, we've got an idea of like how much it's going to cost to do that. And you can just you, you your your income is not set in stone if you don't want it to be. Right. And that's where, you know, most people, I think they look they look at their lives and they're like, hey, I can I have a job it makes 50 grand a year. So they try to fit their life into 50 grand a year instead of trying to figure out how to like, here's the life I want to build. How do I build an income that supports it? That's beautiful. What you just said designing your life instead of just accepting this thing that this cookie cutter uh, life plan we've been given. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's like, the, the, it's just a mental shift, right? There's nothing stopping you from doing that, right? It's just a change in your, your own mindset to think, how can I, um, and I think it, it comes from, from, I think one of those, those really important, like just concepts people have to learn um, is to learn to ask themselves better questions, right? So if you're asking, asking yourself, you know, how, how can I afford my life, right? Then you're, you're asking yourself a poor question, right? Instead of asking yourself, how can I, how can I design my own life? And then, you know, how, how do I make an, you know, build an income that matches that, that you start unlocking things for you. You start asking better questions and you start getting better answers. Yeah. I mean, if people just do that one fundamental shift right there, what you're talking about, just focusing on outcome and then working backwards from there uh, in everything in their life, whether it's their marriage, how, what kind of parent they're going to be. If you just focus Absolutely, on what yeah. do I ultimately want to be, what does that look like? Write it down and then just say, okay, how do I get from point A to point B? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's exactly what we're doing right now. One of my uh, businesses we're growing is, is a uh, push button podcasts. And like, I was like, I was like, here, we want to hit 40 clients this year what do I need to do to hit 40 clients? Right. And we just, we, we back up from that. It's like, how many, you know, how many people do I need on my team? What kind of sales process do we need? What do we need to have in place in order to hit all those things? We just work backwards. And like, I get down to like, okay, you know, here's where I'm at now. And I, the next thing I need to do is I need to like, I need to get the website designed. I need to get, you know, like I, I have steps that go from here all the way up to, you know, hitting our four year client goal this year. Right. And like, it's, it's really uh, easy is not the right word. Um, it's, yeah, because it's, it's not easy. You still have to put all the work into it, but it's not, it's not like difficult, right? It's not, it's not something that's outside of the realm of possibility. Um, it's just, you know, once you start asking yourself those questions, it's, it's a simple matter of just doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit uh, practically for a second and talk about your hero's tool belt, right? So, you know, maybe you got a big magical hammer like Thor or a bulletproof vest like your neighborhood police officer, or maybe you just really love how Evernote helps you organize your thoughts. What are some of the tools that you couldn't live without today when you're talking about growing and managing your business, either your newsletter subscribers, your investment, or your, 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 uh, your venture capitalist business, something that just makes your, makes your business run. You couldn't do, you couldn't do it without it. Well, I mean, this is, might sound wrong or maybe it's not the answer you're looking for, but I would say it's the people that I've placed in my life. Uh, so maybe it's an Avengers type ensemble here. <laughs> but uh, there you go. certainly, look, I'm very disorganized. I'm horrendous. I hate it. I don't even want to try. So I have a partner who's the most anal person on the planet. I mean, and he annoys the shit out of me because I'm unorganized, but he's organized. 
And that's important. And then I've got, I hate paperwork. That's, that's, a, that's like my, my chosen kryptonite. I don't want any paperwork. So I've got another yeah, partner yeah. who, that's what he went to college for as, as far as a finance degree. And, and, and you know, he, he deals with all the subscription forms for these private placements. He deals with all the tax. He deals with all the corporate entities, all that stuff. So I would say it's the people that are around me. And then I have a personal assistant uh, who, you know, she sets all these interviews up and coordinates things and does the bookings for flights. So it's really that team around me uh, that is, is, I wouldn't call them a tool belt, but certainly the, they're, the, they're what makes all these businesses work is that I have placed strategic people in my life who are strong where I am super weak. Yeah, that's a, that's a really powerful point. And it's one of the things that like, I just this last year was the, uh, was when I started hiring people. Right. So I just had my, uh, my one year anniversary with our, with my first employee. Um, and he's been fantastic. It's changed face my business, right. Just by having someone who can shore up the areas that I needed help with. And it did a lot of things for me, right. It, it unlocks you from doing things that you're not good at. Right. Um, and uh, like, uh, it's an interesting thing, right? You see a lot of times people talk about like, Hey, you have your strengths and your weaknesses. And you know, if you could bring your weaknesses up just a little bit, you could have a lot of, a lot of results. But I think the reality is, is like, if you, the, the wealthiest people in the world ignore their weaknesses, right. Mm -hmm. And they focus on just the thing that they're the strongest at and they let other people deal with everything else. Um, and I think that's a, it's really telling that to, you know, hear someone who's doing the kind of work that you're doing or like how, how important your team is to, to your success. Absolutely. I mean, look, and, and I would tell everybody take it to the next level, uh, when really allocate, really think about your life and the things that you can get rid of like grocery shopping or doing the lawn or doing the pool, you can broker these things out to somebody else and then double down on what you're good at and more efficient at. So let's say instead of me, instead of my wife going grocery shopping, we get a better return on value if somebody else does it. And now she's focused on the children and the homeschool. Instead of me out there cutting grass for whatever, 15, 20 bucks an hour, uh, I can now focus on future money trends or a VC deal where we'll get a much more return on value. So reflect on your life. And especially if you're a small business owner, you know, are, should you really be the CPA of your business, the web host guy for your business? I mean, should you be all those things? Or if you're a really good salesman, would you be better off running your business on the phone and hiring somebody to run the website and hiring somebody to keep the accounting? Yeah, absolutely. And I know it's like, I've got, uh, I've got goals for, for, for my life. Like I, I really like to cook. Um, but I would like cooking to just be a hobby I do on the side. I like, I want to get to the point where I've got like a personal chef, right. Who's making our family's dinners and like, so like all, all the way down to Grubhub. those kind of things. Grubhub. There you go. Um, personal chef. <laughs> yeah. And like, there's, there's uh, well, I have, I have alternate reasons too. I also want to uh, like hire them as personal chef, but I also want them to like teach me. Mm. <laughs> so, so it's like, like a culinary school for, you know, for a cheapskate. Um, who doesn't really want to go to culinary school. I just like, I want to learn from someone. So, um, but I don't want to do it for my business. So like, I just, yeah. you know, when I, when I, when I can, I can sit down and, you know, I want another lesson, like teach me how to do whatever that was that you just did. Um, so, uh, but anyways, that's a, that's a personal thing, but yeah, like f finding those areas in your life that you can, you can pull out and have someone else do. Um, and one of the things just an, an encouragement for people who are thinking about that, 
the thing that held me back the longest from actually hiring people and bringing someone on was thinking in my own head that I couldn't afford them. Mm. Right. Um, and it was a mental block I had because I was like, you know, if I hire someone, I'm going to have to then make sure that, you know, because it, it is a shift in your business. Um, because now it's not just you that your business has the revenue for, like, like I have payroll and I have like payroll is the most important thing that I have every month. Right. I have to make sure that it gets met. Um, because like those people rely on me, um, to, to make payroll. So it does shift a little bit of your, uh, the priorities in your business. But the other thing that happened, um, with that shift was it took so much off of my plate. My business doubled within three months. Mm -hmm. Right. And suddenly affording that person was not just easy. It was like unthinkable that I waited as long as I did. Sure. <laughs> um, so that's sort of my encouragement. If you're in that space in your business thinking, who can, what can I take off my plate? Just do it. Right. And like, I remember the first month I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to like have to eat this cause I don't know where the revenue is going to come from. But if I never do it, I'm never going to hire someone and, you know, hired someone and just within the first month, they more than paid for themselves. Absolutely. Um, so it's a, it's definitely a big, uh, a big win for your business when you start moving up that direction. Yeah, it forces you to grow too. Just like uh, a regular household, uh, you know, the, the car needs new tires, but they don't have any money. But guess what? When the car needs new tires, you, you, you find a way to find that $500 and you make it happen. Yeah, you make it happen. Same thing with an employee. Uh, it just becomes part of the operation and, and you're good. Yeah, yeah. And it's not nearly as scary as you, uh, as you think it is. And then once you do it, you're like, I can't believe I waited as long as I did. Um, so... And I've heard that time and time again from people who have, when they start hiring staff and really growing their organization, um, it changes, changes their business and really allows them to grow exponentially. Yes. Um, so, and it's a, it's a, it's a form of leverage that I think is just fascinating because like for me, the thing that I've really focused on this last year with my business is how can I put in an hour's worth of work and get 10 hours of work out of it. Mm. Um, and uh, so we've done a, a lot of work with systems and processes and our business is really, really streamlined right now. And um, like for, for the most part, um, like my, like 80% of my business runs itself without me, which a year and a half ago, I ran everything. <laughs> um, and I, you know, if I stepped away, the business stopped. And like, yeah. you know, this last week I went to a business mastermind with our group of people. I took four or five days off and they come back. Everything's running smoothly, right? Like it's just, it's a really good place to be in your business. And then it actually, it allows you to remove yourself from the process and actually have it continue to grow. That's so, a great feeling. Yeah, it's really cool. So talk a little bit about your own personal heroes, right? Frodo Head Gandalf, Luke Had Obi-Wan, Robert Kiyosaki is Rich Dad. Who are some of uh, your heroes? Were they uh, real life mentors, speakers or authors, peers who were a couple of years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you've accomplished in your life and your business? Uh, well, my number one would be my dad, uh, because he taught me to never quit. And, uh, literally like you'd get spanked with a belt if you quit, there was no quitting. So it's <laughs> just not optional. Taught me to go all in. That's for sure. Uh, I also had a mentor in my life when I was 13 on who taught me about real estate and, and the kind of opened my mind up to doing different things as far as not going to college and stuff. And then, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, uh, you know, so lucky that that man wrote that book at the right time. I was young. I was still a teenager and I read all of his books. And uh, just in the last year, I got to actually interview him, which was really cool. Uh, so th those three people uh, are probably the most influential people in my life. 
And later with, when it comes to VC, I ended up meeting a, a gentleman by the name of Keith Newmeyer, and he really taught me how to evaluate these companies and really, really how to kick the tires on these things. Yeah, that's really cool. Actually, uh, Robert Kiyosaki was, uh, was my catalyst for getting into the business world as well. I was probably, I can't remember if it was like nine or 10 years old. My dad brought home the Rich Dad Poor Dad book and he was like, hey, one of my friends at work gave this to me. I thought you'd enjoy it. And I read that book probably four times the first week um, that I had it <laughs> um, and sort of become, I became a boy obsessed at that point. And, uh, um, you know, you were talking earlier, you used to sell candy and stuff. Um, but when I was 13, my first business, I was uh, buying candy wholesale from, uh, I got my dad to give me a loan for candy. And I, you know, I got 50 bucks and went to the Smart and Final down there in Marietta and uh, bought a bunch of big, you know, big blocks of candy and brought them to the school. And um, I made about 1500 bucks selling candy at school before the, uh, before the school authority shut me down for not having a business license. It's a nice chunk of change. <laughs> Yeah, worked out really well. Um, yeah, he's, uh, it, he's definitely been a huge inspiration to me. And I like my son's just started reading some of his books. Um, we've been listening to him on audiobook and realizing how much of my thought processes and my character and my decision making came from like those early years reading those books from him. So definitely, uh, I agree with you. It was a huge impact on me as well. Yeah, play the cash flow game with the kids too. Uh, yeah, we do. We have, uh, we have the, uh, my son loves that game. Um, yeah. So we've, uh, we've recently, they've, they've got a tablet version of it now. So you don't have to like pull all the stuff out. Um, so we played on the tablet and he likes that game a lot. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So that one you don't have to like, you don't, you don't have to uh, have all the money out, like all the, the paper money. Um, you yeah. just have like, it has like the income sheet um, and it does the, uh, the calculations. Oh. Um, so that's the only way to play then. I didn't know that you could, if, if, cause the, we, the kids one is not so bad, but the adult one is there's so much writing going on. So yeah, they, it's, it yeah. takes, it takes all the hard, the hard part out of the game. Um, the stuff, the stuff that makes it feel more like work than a game. Um, yeah. and it does like the calculations and keeps track of all of your investments and everything for you. Um, and it's free too. Like you can just go to another website and play the, uh, play the cash flow uh, game on your, uh, and we play it at like, um, you have to have a couple of devices because you have to have one device per person. So like, we'll, uh, my, my son has his school tablet and I'll pull out my tablet. My wife has her tablet and we'll play, um, play the game. Nice. But yeah, it's, uh, it's super cool. Um, and it definitely uh, helps him start thinking, thinking that along those lines, how, to, how do you build investments and whatnot. And he's started asking, asking me questions that direction. He's got all sorts of business ideas now. And it's kind of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. So I want to go ahead and bring it home for our listeners here and talk about your guiding principles. Top one or two principles or actions that you sort of use regularly every day that you think contribute to the success and influence that your companies have now. Maybe something you wish you had known when you had started out on this journey. Well, my number one principle and I, is, is over-delivering in value. Uh, I think that's one of the most important things I can teach my children, teach the, anybody who works with me or anything that I do in life is to over-deliver in value, that's principle number one. And principle number two is to be appreciative and grateful and show gratefulness to other people. Um, so I, I reward people who work with me with plenty of raises. We're a company that does probably three to four bonuses a year. Um, just you know, wanting to let people know how appreciative I am, whether it's the subscribers, the clients, or the people who work with me. So uh, over-delivering and showing a spirit of appreciation. Yeah, I love that. I like the idea of of uh, of giving your your workers and your even your clients like how do you how can you surprise and delight them, 
right? Um, and because um, it, it really changes changes the game for people, right? Um, and it's it's one of the things I've I've really focused on with uh, with my employees. Is how do you how you know? I don't. I've only got a few of them. I've got a small team and it's growing. But how do you make it that that I I want this company to be something that you know either they want to work with forever. Um, or they look back on as a very fond time of their life. You know, they really enjoyed working for our organization and, you know, finding ways to do that. Um, whether it's, you know, we, we have uh, video games we play together on the weekend, like, like virtual games that our, our, our team plays together because, you know, a bunch of them are young gamers and stuff like that. So we try to, you know, encourage that and connect things. Um, and, uh, or, or, you know, we put together a, a weekend channel where we share like the, you know, our adventures and things with each other just to, you know, keep connected and actually make connections with the with the employees outside of work um and uh anyways there's you know just you know, how do you go just a little bit above and beyond things that uh that they don't they don't see everywhere right um and you know if you can bring that to every area of your life like you were saying you're with your clients or with your venture capitalists how do you always think about over delivering um and it's gonna it make it it probably has a tremendous impact on the results you've created in your businesses over the years so that's a, it's a good thing. <laughs> well, and it's good to corner yourself. Uh, as we all know, if you want to have it, it might not have it, but if you have to have it, it'll happen. So if you put yourself in situations that you have to over deliver, it will happen. But if you just say, I'm going to give them a great service, they're going to love it, blah, blah, blah. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But if you put yourself in a situation, man, if I do this for this person, they're freaking going to be a raving fan of mine and you got to corner yourself do that to yourself yeah, yeah. you'll make it happen just like the guy who finds the 500 bucks to fix the car that he doesn't have uh you'll make it happen yeah it, it just uh it's it's got to happen right it's the uh, the cornered dog syndrome right the, the cornered dog will do anything to survive right and you just have to figure out um i i call those uh um psychological triggers right how do you get yourself into a place that you know you're going to do the things you need to do right um and give yourself the triggers to make it happen so that is basically it for the interview. Thank you so much for coming on. I do have one last thing I do for, with all of my guests. We call it the Heroes Challenge. It's really simple. Um, it's basically this. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story with our audience? Oh, I mean, I would say it's uh, Lior Gantz of Wealth Research Group uh, because you know, 10 years ago when I met him, uh, he was running a small education company in Israel. And now he's traveled the world for the last year and a half uh, with his wife and his daughter uh, because he was able to leverage his knowledge of investing into the public domain. Uh, he simply travels the world looking for investment trends. He goes to China, Thailand, Europe, all over. And I don't think he's been home for like 18 months uh, nice. and he's traveling with a three-year-old as well. So I would say he's probably has one of the more fascinating stories I've ever heard. That's really cool. Yeah. And he, he you know, you probably heard my, I got a three-year-old and a uh, six-year-old who are fighting in the background here. So <laughs> I know what it's like traveling with kids. Um, so yeah, we'll see if we can connect later about uh, maybe we can get him to uh, come on the show. Um, but thank you so much for coming on the show, Daniel. Really appreciate it. Where can people find you if they're interested in, uh, in any of the things that you do, right? Whether they got a company that needs venture capitalists or, uh, or they want to hear about your newsletter, where can they find you? And who are the ideal types of people to reach out? 
you know, anybody, we help millennials, we help baby boomers. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, futuremoneytrends.com. Uh, you can subscribe to our weekly wealth digest. Uh, if you want to read the intro and the first chapter of my book, don't save for retirement. You can go to futuremoneytrends.com slash save. Awesome. Look forward to, uh, um, is the, I assume that book's available on Amazon. It is. Yeah. 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 It sounds like something I need to go pick up and read. <laughs> <laughs> So again, thank you so much for coming on the show, Daniel. Really appreciate it. It's been a, a fascinating conversation. Um, is there uh, any uh, final thoughts you have before we hit the uh, done record on this episode? Uh, I think we've covered a lot of ground. The only thing I could say to everybody is just, you know, um, I, there's nothing like looking in the mirror and realizing that's your number one source of income and that's the person who's going to solve all your problems. It's not, it doesn't matter what happens to you. It's how you're going to respond to everything. Uh, it's a powerful point. Thank you very much, Daniel. Appreciate having you on. Thank you.